This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Well, this is one of my favorite topics. Um, I retired five, five years ago already from UCSD, but I continue to teach in the community. And this particular topic is near and dear to me because I've already experienced two back fractures. So this is kind of what I've learned when I thought I knew everything already about healthy eating and living. Um, One of the things that you'll hear me repeat over and over again is how important it is for us to keep on exercising, um, especially weight-bearing exercise. And so I'll say a few words about that, but I then will also get into some of the dietary issues, and we'll try to get beyond just calcium issues, Um, although calcium is certainly something we have to pay attention to. So as I mentioned, both uh, physical activity and diet are critically important. Um, One of the points that I wanted to make before we get into that further is I think we sometimes forget that our bones actually are made up of a protein matrix into which there are minerals that are embedded. So did some of you, when you had younger children, do that little egg experiment or the chicken bone experiment where you submit, you submerged a raw egg in its shell in vinegar overnight? Did any of you do that? And the next, did, did a few of you? Okay. Well, it's really interesting because um, then what happens in the morning is you see the egg, but all of the minerals have come out in the acidic vinegar. And um, that's basically the way our bones are. Um, So we need to think both about enough protein, but not too much protein, so that we have healthy bone matrix. And then we also need to think about the other nutrients that are required Um, to keep our bones healthy. Um, I think one of the other things that's really good for us to keep in mind is that our bones are dynamic, so they're building up and breaking down all the time. It's just that the building up takes prominence earlier in our life, and we have a little bit more breaking down, okay, in terms of the tipping of the scale as we're older. So one of the things that's a little bit, how can I say, uh, challenging is that we reach peak bone mass by around the age of 30 or 35. So a lot of us are sort of just dealing with, you know, what we've got. And we're just trying to do what we can to hold on to what we have and to try not to, you know, lose it any faster than uh, possible. So you've seen these curves before. The blue is women, okay? Um, We tend not to gain as much bone mass by the time we reach peak bone mass at at around 30. Um, Men tend to have a little higher bone mass, as you can see. But both men and women do drop off in bone mass as they get older, and especially after the age of 60. You'll see as we get a little further on that one of the things that they're coming to realize 
is that the loss of bone mass is actually happening as early as between 35 and 50. And that kind of came as a surprise to the researchers that just published um, this paper. Do you see that second point there, that men usually have fractures even though they have a higher bone mass? Um, And it often is in the lumbar spine, which is sort of that part that's kind of around our waist, you could say. So one of the things that we'll be talking about is how important it is to maintain core strength. How many of you already do Pilates? Probably many. Okay. Um, So learning to sit properly and to build our core is one of the important things to be able to hold our spine in place. Um, This study was the one that I referred to. It was just published literally a couple of months ago. And they looked at um, 173 adults between the ages of 35 and 50. They asked them about what they ate, uh, how much calcium they took in, how much and what types of exercise, and other risk factors that related to osteoporosis and osteopenia. Um, If you see on that second point... Um, one out of every three men already had osteopenia or lower than optimum bone mass. And that was between the ages of 35 and 50. And for women, it was about one every, of, of every four. So um, it was surprising, I think, um, to these researchers. Um, and I'm wondering if it has something to do with, uh, again, our lack of activity and our sitting a lot and, you know, in front of our devices, potentially. It's not just us that are older that have an issue. Um, It's important that we move as much as possible, especially weight-bearing, and you've heard this a lot, but it helps incentivize me to remember that as my muscles are pulling, they're actually telling my body to keep my bones stronger. So just moving, even if... It's not, you know, hugely, you know, hard uh, activity. Some moving is better than no moving. Um, Men tend to have higher bone mass because they have larger muscles. And weight bearing is particularly important. Um, Interestingly enough, women sometimes, um, you know, will have healthier hip bones just because they've been out there walking. One of the things they found with this earlier study with the younger adults is that the men actually tended to cycle more. They used bicycles, which was not weight-bearing. And so they actually had more difficulty in terms of bone mass. So actually getting on the treadmill, you know, or women, you know, for us walking, hopefully uphill some of the time, um, trying to maybe have some little weights in our hands or in our backpack, All of that can be very helpful. So we want to remember core muscles, important for supporting our spine, weight-bearing. I guess the other thing that has particularly interested me as I've gotten older is how important it is to work on stabilizer muscles. So I don't know how many of you do balancing exercises already, or there are certain yoga poses that we do where you have to balance But it's very important to work on that because even if we tend to fall, 
if we're more able to catch ourselves before we go full on down, it can really make a big difference. I think the other thing uh, before I get into diet is this issue about postural alignment and getting loaded over our joints appropriately. Um, so some of you are nodding like, of course, you've heard this before. Um, <clears throat> there's wonderful, uh, I don't know how many of you have done Feldenkrais, which is a very simple kind of exercise where it, I tell people it's kind of like you're lying on the ground rolling around and you end up feeling better. <laughs> have, you, have some of you tried it? Um, yeah, do you agree? It's like rolling around on the floor. Okay. Um, Pilates, many of you already said you do. Um, Qigong and Tai Chi um, are others that, are, that can be very helpful in terms of balance okay, and coordination. Um, a couple more things about posture. Do you see this one picture on the left? Um, I keep trying to keep that in my mind um, to think about how I'm sitting because we tend to sit like in a C and that puts incredible pressure on our lumbar spine. So all of us now just move back and put your butt back in the chair, okay? And try to get in that L position. And that kind of helps you to sit up straight. Um, one of the things that you see, I walk on the beach pretty much every day, and I'm surprised by how many people, including me, do not have enough glute, you know, our butt muscles are not strong. So we really need to work on those to be able to hold ourselves up. Okay, it's an ongoing challenge. Getting into diet, um, there, this was just published a few months ago. This was a meta-analysis. Um, that means that they took studies, many different studies, and they kind of collapsed the data together. Um, these were studies that had been done in the United States. They had been done in Canada. Japan, China, and a couple of European countries. <clears throat> they were looking at dietary pattern and the impact of dietary pattern on bone health, you could say. Um, not surprisingly, they found that those people that were following a healthier dietary pattern, and that was uh, assessed in various ways, but kind of bottom lines into a Mediterranean type of diet, plenty of fruits and vegetables, healthier fats, not too much processed food. They compared that to a diet that was pretty heavy in milk products and or kind of the standard, um, you could say, processed food diet that had a lot of meat in it and refined grains. And the one that came out the most bone healthy was actually the one that they called the healthy dietary pattern. And you'll find out as we move along that fruits and vegetables, in addition to helping protect us from heart disease and cancer, um, are also very helpful in terms of bone health. So some general things to keep in mind when we talk about optimum dietary habits um, and how those impact our bones. Um, I think we want to think about the importance of acid-alkaline balance. Um, we're also going to talk about how important it is to balance calcium, magnesium, and phosphorus. Calcium and magnesium are more alkaline minerals, phosphorus more acidic, okay? And we need those in balance. Um, the same with sodium and potassium, which are more alkaline, and then chloride, which is more acidic. 
So did you notice sodium chloride, which is salt? Okay. So it's funny because we think of sodium as being alkaline, but it, there's a lot of chloride there that tends, when you have a really high salt diet, to be a problem in terms of keeping us at the right alkaline and acid balance. So we've had a general shift toward acidity as we've <clears throat> moved into this current way that we eat. Um, we have, I'm guessing not any of you, because I'm betting a lot of you eat lots of plant foods, okay? But if you think about the average American processed food diet, it tends to be one that tends toward acidity. It tends to have more animal protein, not as much plant food in it. So if you think about being you know, good to your bones, you want to shift yourself more toward having plenty of fruits and vegetables. And we'll go into some of the reasons um, or additional reasons to think about that. Animal foods tend to be acid-forming. Um, grains tend to be weakly acid-forming. When you're constantly putting sort of acid-forming foods in your body, the kidneys are going to try to keep things neutral, which means that they're going to look for alkaline minerals. Okay, And where do they find some of those? They find calcium and magnesium in your bones. So one of the ways to try to keep the alkaline minerals in your bones is to not overdo acid-forming foods. Okay. Um, <clears throat> the other thing I mentioned was salt. So you'll see as we move along that people that use a lot of salted foods, um, and it's not really as much salt that you're putting on at the table or in food preparation, Actually, more than 70% of the salt that we take in as Americans is coming from processed food. So just staying away from packaged, pre-prepared food and preparing food yourself is going to make a big difference. So we need enough protein for the protein matrix in our bones, but we just don't want too much of it. The quick and dirty way of figuring out how much protein you need is to take your body weight in pounds and divide it in two. So if you were 100 pounds, you'd need 50 grams of protein. If you're 150 pounds, you need 75 grams of protein. Your body likes to get that protein not all at once, okay, but rather sort of through the day couple or three meals, for example. Um, if you don't have much protein, like in the morning or for your noon meal, and you tend to get most of your protein at dinner, you're not going to use all of it for building and repair. Some of it is just going to be used for energy. And if you don't need the energy, which a lot of people don't at night, they're just going to store it. So we really kind of need to think about protein adequacy and then spreading it sort of through the day. So say you're a person who weighs 150 pounds and you need 75 <coughs> grams of protein in the day. Um, an ounce of meat, fish, or poultry has 7 grams in it. So 
some of you have heard me speak before, but I always, we, all of us have an index finger, okay? So if this was a piece of meat, fish, or poultry, think about a chicken breast, okay? And you just had a little slice of it. That would be one ounce of cooked meat, fish, or poultry. So if you had three fingers on your plate, that would be three ounces, or three times seven. So that's 21. So one of the things we need to do is keep our meat, fish, and poultry portions small, because we don't need half the plate to be meat, fish, or poultry. An egg has seven grams of protein in it. If you did beans as your protein source instead of meat, um, you would count about a half cup of something like cooked black beans, and that would have about seven grams. Milk, if you're thinking about having half a cup of milk in your coffee in the morning, maybe in another half on your cereal, that would be about eight grams, okay? So it's not hard to get enough protein, and many of us get much more than we need, and it can sort of overdo the acid-forming part, putting a little stress on our kidneys to keep things neutral. One of the things you can do that's helpful for your bones is not, and also for the planet, is not eating as much animal protein, especially red meats. Um, they tend to be more acid-forming. It's not like we have to completely cut them out, but when you can go more toward vegetable protein, you're going to help the planet, and you're probably also going to help your bones. Okay. Phosphorus is more acid-producing, you could say, a very important nutrient. Um, but also, again, if we eat a lot of meat, um, we're going to probably get you know, more of it than we need. But the other part, I think, is when we're eating a lot of processed food, we're getting a lot of phosphate food additives. And I don't know how many of you are label readers, but I think it's surprising when you really get, in, get into looking at labels how often you find phosphate on your food labels. Um, it's an anti-caking agent, flavor enhancers, emulsifiers. Um, you'll be surprised how often it's there. So again, moving toward you know, fresh food that you prepare is a good thing for lots of reasons, including your bones. The alkaline minerals that most of us know a lot about, um, calcium, magnesium, and potassium, are the ones we really want to make sure we get enough of. Calcium, all of us that are 50 years of age or older need about 1,200 milligrams a day. We don't need any more than that. And I'm sure you all read a number of years ago um, some of the sort of surprising news that people that were doing too much calcium actually had more heart disease. So we want enough calcium, not too much calcium. Um, it's better if we don't, again, get all the calcium at one time. So a lot of times people will get some of their calcium from food, but then they'll go ahead and have to supplement a little extra if they don't think they've quite made it up to that 1,200 milligrams. So you kind of think about when you want to use a supplement. If you're already having, say, milk product with breakfast, that maybe isn't the time you take a calcium supplement because you don't really need it at that time. 
okay? But maybe your dinner didn't have much calcium, and so maybe that's the time that you would take a calcium supplement if you needed to plug in a little extra. Um, we all know that milk products, things like yogurt, even cheeses, which were served as a snack, um, are good sources <clears throat> of calcium. The other really almost preferable source is dark green leafy vegetables of the cabbage family. So when, when I say the cabbage family, you know what I mean by that? It's, the, it's all of those, you know, like kale-type cabbage-y ones that have that sort of sulfur bite to them. And what makes them special is that that's a green leafy vegetable that where the calcium is actually available to your body. Whereas other green leafy vegetables, beet greens, spinach, chard, they have a lot of oxalic acid, and that ties up the calcium so you cannot absorb it. Have you experienced that where you've had like a raw spinach salad and your teeth kind of felt chalky? So that's because the oxalic acid was attacking your enamel. Okay? So these are still healthy foods, but when we look at a food table and it tells us that spinach is a good source of calcium, it's really misleading because it has a lot of calcium in it. It's just that you can't absorb it well, whereas you can absorb it well from kale, and that's one of the reasons I think kale has gotten a lot of good press these days. Um, some of you have heard me talk before, and you know that I'm always pushing sardines, okay? And um, canned fish with edible bones because we don't chew on bones from fresh fish, right? Because, you know, we would choke on them. But canned fish have edible bones that you can chew on, and that's a very good source of calcium. Um, they're also, sardines are low on the food chain, so they're a kind of ecological choice, and they're very rich in omega-3 fatty acids. Tofu can be a good source of calcium, but only if it's been made with calcium salts. Some tofu has been made with magnesium salts, so you actually have to read the label to determine if there is calcium in it. Um, we'll talk about calcium-fortified beverages in a moment. Magnesium, super important nutrient. Uh, we need RDA is 320, we'll say to 420 or 450. Um, when you're looking at people over the age of 70, 70 to 80 percent of us are not getting enough magnesium, according to national data. So magnesium is a hugely important nutrient for lots of reasons, but one of them is bone health. Okay. Dark green leafy vegetables of all kinds are a good source of magnesium. Peas, beans, and lentils are a great source, whole grains, nuts, seeds, and milk products. And then potassium, and I'll say more about that as we move along, is found primarily, um, the richest sources are plant foods, okay? Fruits, vegetables, and legumes in particular. <clears throat> and then we need enough vitamin D to be able to absorb calcium and magnesium. So 
you know, I think we all know that we need about 600 units um, per day. So a lot of people have been using milk substitutes these days um, for a variety of reasons. Some people are allergic to milk protein. Some people can't digest and absorb milk sugar. So there's a variety of reasons people are not doing milk. Um, if you're allergic to milk protein, it could be casein, what's called uh, A1 casein from cow milk. Um, if that's the issue, you often can handle thing like, things like goat milk, okay, or goat cheeses um, or sheep cheese. Um, but a lot of people are using these other non-dairy milks, like a soy milk. And the thing that I'd like to point out is I think people sometimes don't realize if they, say, choose a hemp milk or a, an almond milk or a coconut milk substitute, um, it will not have anywhere near the amount of protein that a, a cow, you know, goat or sheep milk will have. So just to keep that in mind, if you were thinking of that as part of your protein, then you need to find other sources. Soy milk is closest in protein content to regular animal milks, um, <clears throat> but most of these milk substitutes are basically water with calcium added to them. Okay, So you need to check your labels. A typical cup of milk, for example, is going to have like 250 to 300 milligrams of calcium in it. Um, soy milk, if you looked at this one, the daily value on your label is a really easy number. It's 1,000 milligrams. So 30% is easy to do the math. That would be 300 milligrams in a cup. Um, but if you look at other milks, this is an almond milk, Trader Joe's variety. Do you notice how different the protein is? There's a gram of protein in a cup compared to eight in a cup of cow milk. And then the calcium is much higher than a typical animal milk would be. Probably unnecessarily high. So I question sometimes these substitutes that we're using in terms of are they nutritionally adequate. I would just pay attention to the labels. Uh, with regard to magnesium, very important to realize that half the body's magnesium is stored in the bones. So when we're routinely not getting enough dietary magnesium, we're really putting a stress on the body that's having to go to that storage area, okay? which is not great if you're talking about bone health. Um, the magnesium that's in bone actually is helpful when you don't when you're losing magnesium from the bone, you get a more brittle bone that potentially could break or fracture more easily. Again, the best sources of magnesium are dark green leafy vegetables, legumes, and whole grains. And I've told you already about folks that are older. Um, 70 to 80% aren't getting enough dietary magnesium, but women in general, more than half are not getting enough. Okay, all women over the age of 19. And then even if you talk about adolescent girls, um, that's kind of disturbing that 
almost everybody's not getting enough magnesium. So when you're thinking about young women putting on maximum bone mass, they're, they're ending up, you know, going into their adulthood with less than would be optimum in terms of bone mass. With regard to vitamin D, and I'm guessing that most of you are having your vitamin D checked pretty regularly because I think the medical profession is very onto this. Um, but even with all of the emphasis on getting enough vitamin D, there's still a substantial number of people that are vitamin D insufficient. And there's a variety of ways that that can be um, assessed. The Institute of Medicine says that you have insufficient vitamin D if your blood levels are below 20 nanograms per um, milliliter. The Endocrine Society has a different cutoff. They think it would be, you know, you're insufficient if you're lower than 30. So if you use the Endocrine Society uh, cutoff, you're looking at two-thirds of people you know, more or less, that are not getting enough vitamin D. So it's really important to make sure that you're checking your vitamin D and that you have an adequate amount, certainly over 20, and probably 30 would be better. And there's many people that think that even 40 or up to 50 is, is a good number. How many of you have heard of grassroots health? Anybody? A few of you? Okay. So that was started by Cedric Garland, who may have talked here um, at Stein previously. Some of the researchers um, from UCSD School of Medicine actually were very concerned about vitamin D intakes. Um, and they worked with a variety of other researchers and some uh, advocates in the community and put together this advocacy group for vitamin D um, trying to educate people into how to get enough. And they have a, an application on their website um, that I just kind of did a quick and dirty summary of here. But what it's basically telling you is if you went in and you found that your blood level was, say, 25, and you wanted to get it closer to 30, then this is saying that you need an extra 600 units a day for several months till you're tested again, and hopefully you're going to get moving in the right direction. But I think keeping an eye on your vitamin D level is important. So many of us um, are worried about skin cancer. We're not going out in the sun. We're slathering ourselves with you know, various sunscreens, so we're just definitely not making any through sun exposure. Um, so if you're not getting dietary sources of vitamin D, you may not be getting enough. Vitamin K, a um, lot of good information coming at us recently about the importance of vitamin K. Um, women need at least 90 micrograms per day, hopefully coming from their diet. Men need higher amounts, 120. Very important for bone health. And some pretty good evidence that it's important to have enough um, as a way of keeping calcium in our bones and reducing the risk of having calcified blood vessels. So we get vitamin K from dark green leafy vegetables. We also get it from fermented foods and from eggs 
that would be the yolks of eggs. And, you know, for years we were worried about cholesterol and people were throwing away yolks, and that was unfortunate from a vitamin K standpoint. Um, one of the things that animals do for us is they eat green leaves, okay, and they change that into a more active and biologically available form of vitamin K. So um, <clears throat> some of you may even have chickens, or you might have grown up where there were chickens, and you notice that chickens can eat green things, but they also eat bugs that eat green things. And then they have more of these fat-soluble nutrients in their yolks, so they have more colorful yolks, um, which not only is carotenoids, but could also include vitamin K. A um, couple of studies, um, this one uh, from 2014 used quite a high dose of vitamin K, and they were actually able to show that this very high dose increased bone mineral density. Um, so it's definitely something to pay attention to. Are you getting your green leafy vegetables? Are you allowing yourself to eat egg yolks? Um, you know, if you are using a multiple vitamin mineral supplement, does it have vitamin K in it? But, you know, check and make sure you're getting enough. And then um, might surprise you to think that vitamin C is also important for bone health. It actually stimulates bone-forming cells. Um, it prevents or decreases the degradation of bone. And it's very important for collagen synthesis um, or the making of that matrix of the bone that the minerals actually go into. So, um, you know, we know fruits and vegetables, very good sources of vitamin C. But we do need to do a good job of getting our vitamin C foods in. Um, this was kind of surprising. This was a couple of things here. One published in 2009. This was N. Haynes data. That's national sample of Americans. Um, in this case, it was from 2003 to 2004. And they found that 7% of males that were sampled and 4% of females actually were vitamin C deficient, which is kind of amazing when you think about all of the even junk foods that have vitamin C put into them. And there was this big study that was published in 2017 um, that actually also brought up the issue of how important vitamin C adequacy is for bone health. Um, they actually reported um, greater dietary vitamin C intake was associated with a third less risk of osteoporosis. Again, think about are you getting adequate amounts of vitamin C, um, mostly from fruits and vegetables. Um, I don't know how many of you ever think about boron. You know, I remember thinking about boric acid. Does that ring any bells? Um, boron turns out to be a trace element that is also important for the health of our bones. And it 
really was not something that we were ever concerned about um, previously because it was just assumed that our soils had enough boron in them and therefore the plants that grew on those soils had adequate boron. Now we unfortunately are finding that our soils are getting depleted because of the use of synthetic fertilizers and also various things like glyphosate that are being sprayed on our croplands, which is impacting the soil microbiome, which is then impacting the health of the soil, which is then impacting the health of the plants. Um, Boron is essential for the growth and maintenance of bone, and it also boosts the absorption of magnesium. And it's involved in the body's use of hormones and vitamin D. So it has several places that it plays an important role in keeping our bones healthy. If you're eating fruits and vegetables and legumes, plant foods that are growing on organic soil that's healthy soil, you're likely going to be getting enough. Um, If you're somebody who kind of depends on a well-balanced, low-potency, multiple vitamin mineral supplement, take a look at the label and see if there's any boron in it. You know, it's probably a good idea to get a little bit. Um, They actually have done studies showing that getting as little as three milligrams a day, which is sort of the recommended amount, is beneficial in terms of lowering the risk of osteoporosis. So back to salt for a minute. Um, As I mentioned before, salt is sodium chloride. Um, If you take a look at that graphic, um, one of the things I think we always have well in our mind is the connection between salt intake and high blood pressure. But I think what we don't necessarily think about is that when we eat a very high salt diet, we tend to get more calcium coming out in our urine. And that probably, if you're talking about trying to keep calcium where it belongs and not getting where it doesn't belong, um, good idea to be on a lower salt diet. And that means less processed foods. Potassium, very important as an alkalizing mineral. The best sources, fruits and vegetables. An average half cup cut up fruit or vegetables can have about 200 to 250 milligrams of potassium in it. Um, I brought along my show and tell. Do all you guys have this in your kitchen? This is a quart-sized measuring cup. So that's four cups or eight half-cup servings. All of us need to try to get that much fruit or vegetable in a day, minimum. Okay? So that's eight of these. Okay? So, you know, do an experiment with yourself. Um, You know, for a few days, actually, in the morning, you know, or at night, or the next day, cut up a variety of fruits and vegetables and figure out how you're going to get that in. Because even if you got eight half-cup servings, you're only getting about 2,000 milligrams of potassium, and you really need to get 2,600 to 3,400 milligrams a day. So most of us are not doing what we should in terms of potassium. Um, I think when we think potassium... The first thing we go to is we go to bananas, okay? 
And that's fine. They're, they're pretty high also in natural sugar. Dates and prunes also would be good sources of soluble fiber and potassium. Um, I have a lot of recipes on my website where I've actually used prunes or dates as, as a sweetener in baked goods. So they add extra fiber, and it's a natural source of sugar. So you can take a look. Um, leafy greens, mushrooms, potatoes, sweet potatoes, and spinach are especially rich in potassium. So they actually have a little more than that 250 on average. Um, so the more of those you eat, probably, the more you're going to help your potassium. Um, and then the other thing to notice is that when you eat peas, beans, or lentils as your protein source, you're getting a lot of extra potassium that you wouldn't necessarily get if you ate animal sources instead. Okay? And I don't know how many of you saw the headlines that hit a little while ago, but um, there was a study published uh, where the intervention group actually was given five prunes a day. These were uh, folks, older women, between 65 and 79 years. They found that the women in the group that got the extra prunes actually did better from a standpoint of bone loss. Okay, So it was funny when I was reading the article because they were speculating you know, about what could it have been in the prunes. And they said, well, maybe it was the iron. And I thought, that's kind of odd. Um, to me, I would have thought it was the potassium. But then the other thing that we're realizing is it could also have been that prunes are an excellent source of soluble fiber. And one of the interesting things we're seeing as the literature is evolving <clears throat> is that soluble fiber is helping to keep the friendly bacteria in the gut healthy and happy. And there's some very interesting work coming out about the health of the gut biome and the health of our bones. So I think that's something to keep an eye on. Okay, Maybe Rob Knight can come and talk about that some other time. Um, I'm one of those people that keeps a little extra potassium um, in my home pharmacopoeia. Okay? Not that I would use it all the time, but um, I keep these little tabs. I happen to use a potassium gluconate. Um, they come like 100 milligrams in a little tab. Okay? It's one of those nutrients that you don't want to overdo, but if you think that a half cup of cut up carrots has 250, you know, taking one little tab of 100 is not dangerous. And it, you kind of can look through your day and think, you know, how'd I do from a standpoint of potassium? You know, would a little extra help? Um, and again, always with supplements, you're cautious. You know, you don't overdo and do great big amounts, but a little extra can be useful. Um, I showed you this comparison because this is looking at uh, the cost per 100 milligrams. And I've had some folks that I know uh, recommended uh, this product by Apex Energetics. It's a really expensive way of getting potassium. It's, it's like you know, almost 30 cents for 100 milligrams, whereas some of these others, perfectly good sources of potassium, are like 3 cents 
Okay, so shop around, um, and again, mostly your fruits and vegetables. Only if you're not getting enough do you add a little extra. So I talked about eight or nine, you know, half cup servings being really important. Um, there have been some interesting recent studies, and two of them are noted here. This particular one by Sim, published about a year ago showed reduced falls and fractures in older women over the age of 70 if they had greater intake of fruits and vegetables, so less problems with their bones with more fruits and vegetables. Um, And then there was another one, this was published in 2015, that showed reduced bone turnover and loss of calcium in the urine with people that were eating more fruits and vegetables. Um, in, in general, you know, you just can't get enough fruits and vegetables, I'm telling you. So, so we need to do better, okay? And then the other thing, I, I worked in cancer research for, as you heard, 20 years, and we were very focused on the plant protectors and food because they were considered good ways of reducing the risk of cancer. And I think we've just got, gotten so much additional information on the benefits of these plant protectors. This particular study that was published um, in just 2018, a year ago, talked about some of these plant protectors. And it's always a little troubling because there's sort of interest in finding the magic bullet, you know, in the fruit or vegetable so you can put it into a capsule and sell it for lots of money. And, you know, me as a dietitian keeps wanting to just say, just eat the fruits and vegetables. We, we say, you know, go for the bold, big color and strong flavor, because that's where you find most of these protectors. Um, for those of you that um, want to spend a little extra money on a plant anti-inflammatory, this supplement called Zyflamid, Um, is a reputable product um, that has a lot of those in it. And then just um, quickly about the gut biome and bone health. Um, This was again published just last year. Um, And I think we're going to see a lot more in this topic area as time moves along. But this particular study actually showed that the Diets that were higher in fiber and therefore promoted the growth of healthy bacteria in the gut um, actually were shown to be, you could say, bone healthy because they actually favored um, osteoblasts, which are the, the guys that actually build bone as opposed to breaking it down. So I think we're going to learn a lot more about that as we move along. Um, I'm always you know, telling people we need more fiber. Um, Soluble fiber is what actually grows those healthy gut bacteria. Fruits, vegetables, and legumes are the very best sources of soluble fiber, but even whole grains have soluble fiber. So if you go back to that, you know, my eight cup, eight half cups, um, say you did, you know, between fruits and vegetables, you did eight, you would get eight grams, more or less, of soluble fiber, and then say you had a half cup of black beans for lunch. That would be another two grams. 
So you've gotten to that at least 10 grams of soluble fiber, which is your goal per day. You need all kinds of fiber. You need insoluble also. But when you're eating whole food, you're getting soluble and insoluble. Okay? So it's not, you know, hard to do. Um, You hear a lot about controlling your sugar intake to prevent diabetes and heart disease. It also turns out that people with diabetes have higher risk of fracture. And we know that people with blood sugar problems have more difficulty uh, with bone formation, kind of holding on to healthy bone. Um, And they don't heal breaks as effectively. So cutting down on sugar, um, also very helpful. In terms of if you do need to use a calcium supplement, here are a few. And I always tell people that I change my recommendations depending on what I'm learning or what products come to my attention. And I like to break it down to how much nutrient are you getting per tablet? Because as you probably noticed, Um, some of the calcium supplements tell you that the dose on the label is like one tab. Some say three tabs will give you this dose. Some say six tabs will give you this dose. It's like super confusing. The one that I particularly like um, is Bone Strength by New Chapter. This could change if you come and hear me in six months, depending on what I'm learning. But I kind of like these ones that have roughly the amount of calcium that would come like in a cup of milk or a serving of yogurt. This one has a little magnesium. You'd need to do a good job of getting magnesium from other sources. It has half the RDA for vitamin D, has a little vitamin K, and has a little strontium also, and there's some evidence that that might be helpful. Gero um, makes Bone Up, which got a good rating from Consumer Lab. Do you all know about ConsumerLab.com? So ConsumerLab.com is like consumer reports for supplements. It doesn't take any money from supplement manufacturers, and it analyzes supplement contents to make sure that what's on the label is actually what's in the pill. So it's a good place you can go to for reputable information on supplement quality. This is a soluble form of calcium lactate if you needed a little extra calcium. Um, This one has, in a half a tablespoon, about the amount of calcium in a cup of yogurt or milk. It has a little extra magnesium and some vitamin D in it. So this is a possible um, supplement that you could use. I'm not a big fan of Viactive. Have you all noticed how much sugar is in one of those chews? It's like a teaspoon per chew, so beware of that. This is in your handout, but I think it's very worth paying attention to the number of commonly prescribed drugs that can affect bone mass. And it's very important, I think, to have a chat with your physician about if you are using them, is there any chance that you could, you know, try a lower dose? Um, Many times that's not possible, so then you just have to do a better job of paying attention to your exercise and your nutrients to hold on to the bone that you've got. Um, But there's lots, uh, this is a good reference for you to look uh, up for more information. 
So in summary, I want to emphasize again the importance of weight-bearing and strength training. Again, think about pulling on those bones with your muscle to tell your body where to put the nutrients. You want to reduce your risk of falls because many of us, I didn't know, for example, that I was going to reach peak bone mass at 30, and I wasn't doing any weight-bearing exercise. I was a swimmer, you know? So um, some of us, you know, are already dealing with deficits, so we need to work very hard to make sure that we have good balance, and if we start to fall, we can catch ourselves. Um, we want to get enough and not too much protein and calcium. We've got to get enough D, K, magnesium, and boron to be optimum. Try to reduce or cut out completely processed food, especially any that has added salt and sugar. Get plenty of fruits and vegetables, especially the colorful and flavorful ones. Um, if you feel like you're a little short in some of those key nutrients for bone health and strength, then use supplements judiciously. Um, just don't overdo it. And then talk to your doctor about medication um, to see if you, know, you can maybe adjust it a little bit. Two books that I found incredibly useful. One is called Crooked, written by um, a woman who experienced um, a fracture, and she was only, I think, in her late 30s, early 40s, and was talked into doing back surgery, um, which did not end well. Um, and she has written a very user-friendly book about how important taking these other actions can be to try to avoid surgery or minimize the amount of surgery. And then the other one by uh, Laura Pizarno is called Your Bones. That's very helpful. And I also have my book, Food for Thought, in case anybody's interested. Lots of healthy recipes in that. And tables of calcium and magnesium content of food in the back. Okay? So thank you all for listening. Okay? Yeah. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.